Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thanks for tuning in. It is the Ultra Catalyst Podcast. My name is Stephen Nosek. I'm your host today. And man, so I got a special guest for you. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. We're going to hear from him over the next 30 to 45 plus minutes. You don't want to miss this episode. Now, just a recap for anybody joining, what are we all about on the Ultra Catalyst podcast? It is where we're going to be exploring those one decisions that people make that they they really think about things in their life. Maybe they're not where they want to be or they have these high aspiration goals and they want to move past them. We're going to talk about what's that one driver that really got them to flip the script in their mind to move forward into living their best life. That's what we're all about here. So let's dive right into today's episode. We are going to be talking to my fellow runner, an author, a community builder, video editor, and my friend, Justin Hazaria. Welcome, Justin. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you having me on. Excellent, man. Excellent. And I know we've connected uh, probably almost a year now. Um, I saw a lot of content that you've been putting out there. You also help a lot of our mutual friends uh, with their podcasts, video editing, subscribing work. Um, but I was really drawn to something you wrote a little while ago, and you also shared your mission. And I don't want to tell everybody what it is. I want you to tell us what the mission is that you have, and then we'll kind of dig into your backstory. Okay. I am actually curious to which post you are referring to. Um, but yeah, my main, my main mission um, for the past... I'd say six years. Um, I am, I have a damaged central nervous system and I'm recovering from a TBI, which is stands for a traumatic brain injury. And so, and, and that was, uh, that was caused, that was pharma induced by a medication called Klonopin, which is a benzodiazepine. It's like an anti-anxiety medication. Um, but what happens when you start taking this medication, even if it's as prescribed, like I was doing, is it hijacks your GABA receptors and your serotonin and your dopamine and all, basically your whole chemical makeup becomes highly dependent on this medication to keep your body calm. So when you stop taking the medication, your body just doesn't it goes completely haywire and the exact opposite effect happens because your GABA receptors no wow. longer know how to work. So to, to describe what that looks like instead of relaxation, like I said, it's the opposite. It's extreme chemical terror. <laughs> and wow. so I was, I was basically trapped inside a, uh, I mean, it's hard to describe it, but I was trapped inside a nonstop panic attack for about 18 months. And going through that, I mean, there, there's so many symptoms and we'll, we'll dive into it. But going through that, um, there are there were there are and were uh, Facebook groups, support groups for this kind of thing, because it's very misunderstood by rehabs and doctors and it's not like alcohol it's not like heroin it's a whole different monster mm -hmm. and so as i was going through this i didn't have anybody to really reach out to for hope i mean there were the support groups um but everybody was very understandably downtrodden 
there wasn't anybody who was getting on uh, YouTube and being like, yeah, this was a real motherfucker, but I got through it. And now I'm kicking ass and I'm taking names. There wasn't any of that. And I was like, golly, damn, man, this is depressing as hell. So I kind of wanted to, um, I, I mean, I was listening to, I wanted to be that person for somebody else. I wanted to figure out how to get through this and then hopefully motivate other people with similar injuries to get through it um, in a healthy, positive way and, and hopefully come out the other side somewhat of okay peace. <laughs> So that has been my mission. Wow. That's, that's pretty intense. And I love how you got a little scientific there, right? Telling us about different chemicals. I was going to ask about uh, what type of pharma drugs, uh, because I've heard of them. um, Yeah. But I've never known Mm. to have to take them myself or known a lot of people that have, that have been prescribed different uh, prescription drugs like that, that you get, um, we'll say addicted to, and then they have their side effects. I mean, right. talking about myself years ago, yeah, I was addicted to several different substances, but they were not pharma uh, provided or prescribed, right? They were, they were yeah, just yeah. more, uh, how do you say, uh, recreational. Um, but, but interesting enough, I do understand what you're talking about, right? Because I think you get to that one point where you're starting to recover and you look around and people probably don't want to promote that, right? It's probably that self-conscious I might be mm-hmm. semi ashamed of what my behavior was or how I treated other people. I might not want to tell everybody that I've been able to change my way. And this is what you could do with your life. Right. Because maybe do you think that, that you don't want to relive some of those, those situations and episodes um, as you're telling the story? Do you think some of that is, is why people in similar things don't want to talk about it as much or kind of share it uh, outwardly? Yeah, I think there's um, people kind of go about it uh, different ways. Like um, some people in the groups, they once they're they're healed and they're and they're all better, they never want to return to benzo groups. Uh, I mean, that's part of the reason why it was so difficult to find anybody who was saying, "Hey, I got through this, and you can too." Is because once they're through it, they're like, okay, that's done. I don't even want to think about that ever again. So they're just nowhere to be found. So that's one way that people, um, man, I totally understand that. I'm actually, um, yeah, I mean, there are parts that, that I don't want to, I try not to think about too much. And there are still things that, if I think about too much right now, I'd probably break down crying because this isn't a thing of the past for me yet. Yeah. This is something that I'm still learning how to deal with. I mean, I'm not in a constant chemical terror and all the yeah. insane symptoms have passed, but I still have PTSD. I still um, am not able to live a what I would consider a happy, thriving life. Um, I have to wear these special glasses because I get overstimulated by light and just a bunch of weird stuff. So so there's a lot of stuff that um, I don't necessarily want to think about, but at the same time, and what I try to do my best to promote in goals over benzos is learn how to use all of this craziness as fuel, as motivation, 
I, I, you know, like Eric Thomas says, turn pain into purpose. And that's the only way, really, that I know how to make sense of all this and, uh, and know how to navigate it. That, that, that definitely resonates with me. I could completely understand that. Let's take a little step back. So yeah. you said it's been uh, six, six years plus. And what was that one moment that you, you decided and said, you know what, whatever's going on isn't working out. Like the situation is getting worse. <laughs> I feel myself in a yeah. freaking hole. I need help. How can I throw out a life preserver or dig myself out of this? Um, we'll say a dependency on a prescription drug, right? What yeah. was that point? What did that look like? You don't have to get too graphic if you don't want, but mm -hmm. kind of what was that breaking point where you just like, F I got to change my mind. You know, something else has to change. Yeah. Well, I know how, I know there's a lot of like rock bottoms and I definitely did have a moment where it was like, okay, this is it. But I kind of hit bottom and then just like scraped, <laughs> scraped <laughs> along the bottom for a, quite some time. And there's a reason for that. Um, like once my body, my body, everybody's different. I mean, some people can take, and that's, this is why it's such a misunderstood medication because some people can take Xanax or Klonopin, the benzos. Mm -hmm. Stay on for years, stop taking them the next day, you can be completely fine because everybody's chemical makeup is different. But you get the person who has the nasty um, reaction, it's a whole different story. So my body became completely dependent in less than two weeks. And wow. by dependent, I mean, if I stopped taking the medication, all of a sudden I had the withdrawal effects and I felt like I was in an evil, horrible, bad acid trip. Uh, my intestines felt like they were wrapped in barbed wire. My pupils were huge. Uh, bird chirping sound like cannons going off. Like it was fucked up. And that happened. That happened like within two weeks. And I didn't understand. I knew it was the medication, but I didn't know what to do about this. So I would go to doctors and I would go to therapists, my therapist at the time, and be like, dude, this is what's going on. And they either, my therapist didn't really understand and the doctors just straight up didn't believe me. And so it's like, what do you do? And this withdrawal, I mean, I, I was a, I've been an alcoholic. I was a full-blown alcoholic. I knew what withdrawal was from alcohol. This was a whole different fucking thing. You know, like alcohol was one thing. This was something else. And it was so intense that I was like, okay, that is impossible to go through. Nobody can do that. I shouldn't be expected. I, I basically just accepted my life sentence right then and there because I couldn't get, I couldn't get through that. And um, so since I basically accepted my life sentence, the next seven years, six or seven years was me just trying to not run out of pills. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was, that was it. And I always did because my tolerance to the medication kept on going up and up. So I kept on having to spend money and find when I ran out of prescription from the doctor, I had to find people on the street to buy from. And I always ran out of money, which meant I always ran out of pills, which meant I always had to call in sick for days at a time from whatever job I had. Wow. So I always got wow. fired. And, but in my mind, 
this was there was no it was not possible to get off so i just had yeah. to keep on doing this cycle until eventually i was on my way to i mean i had just gotten out of the er i had been to the er countless times at this point um I mean, this was a different day, but uh, yeah. one time I had a seizure so bad, uh, it, it, so violent, it broke my jaw and it dislocated wow. my jaw and broke my back in two places from the withdrawals. And uh, so, I'm, but on this particular day that I'm talking about, like I just got out of the ER, I had to be at work in like an hour and I, I was taking all types of fucking <laughs> pills and it wasn't calming me down. It wasn't working and I was even drinking vodka on my way to work to try to calm down and nothing was helping. And it was like, dude, I'm, I was like, I can't even, I was like, I can't, I can't function. I I cannot function as a human being on this planet. If even if I do calm enough to where I can go to my piece of shit dead end job for the day. Yeah. I've just ran out of pills again, trying to calm myself down just to get through this work day. So how am I going to get through the next one? So that was, that was when it was like, all right, I I got to rehab. It's either that or kill myself. I mean, that was it. It it sounds like you scraped the bottom, bounced, rolled, twist, turn, and like, just kept like along that snowball trail. I mean, yeah, to be able to keep adding more and piling on more pills or alcohol or whatever um and then find yourself taking just like very impactful about your ability to just function like you said i mean if you're losing jobs if you can't make appointments or whatever i mean life starts to deteriorate and i could imagine uh, your emotional state your motivation probably goes down as well right because now you're you're thinking about where can you get your next dosage uh, or how you're going to get it? And that's, yep. that's literally the, the mouse on the wheel, right? You're going to keep chasing it and it's, it's fucking hard to get off, man. I, I remember I had a similar situation. We won't get into it too much on uh, with different recreational drugs. And for the longest time, it was all I'm doing is about thinking about a future date. And so all my actions were related to, going out and getting the supplies necessary to get to that state of mind. But it happened to be every three days or every four days or every five days. It's kind of like what we see now with people that are always looking forward to the weekends. And then you examine what they do on the weekend and it's all barbecues, beers, alcohol, whatever. And then they wake up the next day hungover going, what the hell just happened? But then instantly their mind goes, up oh, next weekend's coming up. This is what I got to do. I got to go do X, Y, and Z to make sure I could mm-hmm. enjoy the weekend. Right, it's, right. It's, it's a weird situation. So I definitely could relate to what you're saying there. Not, not as intense as you just described. Cause man, I, I, I can't believe uh, uh, you went through that and it, it sounds like it's been uh, traumatic and painful at the same time. Yeah. For sure. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, how was it about the, your sphere of influence, uh, interacting with the people around you. Did you have to kind of pull away from a lot of friends, family, coworkers, uh, and stuff like that? Or was it kind of like business as usual? No, I had to, I had to completely, I I completely moved away from my hometown. Um, 
because I was before this all happened. And this is where I start. I start to even like now, you know, I started to get the little lump in my throat. But like before this whole thing happened, I was a very, um, very outgoing person and very um, I, I would I wouldn't say extroverted, but I was an yeah. extroverted introvert. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love being around my friends. Um, but what, one of the symptoms that what what happened when I completely got off the medication was I lost my ability to speak. There's a, a symptom yeah. called aphasia where mm-hmm. you can't understand people and you can't form sentences. So for the first year, I couldn't talk. And the, the chemical terror was so, this is, how, this is how afraid I was of everything, simply just because my GABA receptors were out of whack. I had roommates at the time. And if they were, if I, like, if I needed to take a piss, right? I was in my room and I needed to take a piss which is just right, the bathroom was right across the hallway. If I heard some footsteps or something outside of the door, I refused to cross the hallway to go take a piss until I was sure that the roommates were out of the house. I was just so insanely afraid. And there was no way in hell that I was going to let these people that I've grown up with that I love uh, see me <laughs> yeah, in this condition. Yeah. You know, I was seven months sober, but I looked like a freaking method because my, like I said, my eyeballs were dilated to the point where you couldn't even see the whites. Oh, wow. Um, I looked like, uh, I'm not sure if you've ever, and I, I still don't know how to describe this or if it even sounds believable, but if you've ever seen the movie The Grudge, um, and even if you haven't, it's just a, a ghost movie, and there's like a creepy little ghost boy. Um, when I would look in the mirror, I actually looked like the ghost boy from the movie The Grudge. So I felt like I was possessed by this like chemical terror demon. So, anyways, there was no um, there was no going about my usual business. My yeah. life was completely derailed, and I had to move away uh, to my dad's house out here in the country and just yeah. focus solely on surviving. Well, I I, I would say that's <clears throat> probably one of the best decisions you've made lately, oh, right? yeah. because you're you're able to see that you weren't happy there. Life wasn't. Uh, thriving for you. You had a lot of other problems going on, right? That were kind of systemic to being hooked onto these uh, chemicals. Yeah, right? yeah. And, uh, but man, that is quite the story. Let's dive into you, you getting sober. It's now probably been a, a, a few years now and you decided to write a book. Yeah. Why'd you re- decide to write the book and, and kind of who's the audience uh, for it? Yeah. Um, so the name of the book is Resilience, A Guide to Surviving Withdrawal and Defying the Odds, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, there was a, the approach that I took towards getting through withdrawal, in my mind, was like the only way to get through withdrawal. But apparently it's very, it's not very common. Um, okay. And 
let's see what's the best way to sum this up um i found i like there was a, a kind of a defining moment for me it was five months off i was still in the pits of <laughs> withdrawal hell mm-hmm. uh these days i like to refer to as the spiritual holocaust um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was just I was I was suicidal um, and I, I was having that my life consisted of waking up at four in the morning, going to work on this nasty, disgusting crab boat for my cousin and working eight plus hour days for fifty dollars a day in withdrawal. Oh, wow. This this job oh, would have sucked now, but you throw on barbed wire intestines and feeling like you're in a bad acid trip on top of it. It was just miserable. And I would come home from that. And at this time, like I said, I'm living with my dad. Me and him are not, he didn't really understand any of this. And uh, so I would come home, get in arguments with my dad, but I couldn't really defend myself because I had aphasia and I couldn't talk. (laughs) So around this time is when I started finding the David Goggins and the Eric Thomases and the Ed Millettes and, and all those guys. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. They started, they introduced me to that way of, uh, it really, it, it really spoke to me when people were like, I might not be the smartest. I might not be the, this and the, that, but I will outwork everybody. It's yeah. the one thing it resonated with me because I was like, okay, that's something that I can, somewhat control and i started looking for the things that i could control and i wanted to go to war against withdrawal so to speak i wanted to not only i was like all right i'm not just going to survive this thing but i'm going to accomplish goals in the process and if i can accomplish goals while my intestines are wrapped in barbed wire while i and, and scared out of my mind and can't even talk and then just think what I'll be able to do when I'm better. So yeah. that I, I started turning the fuel into fire. And, um, I also had acastasia, right. And what acastasia is, is you can't sit still at all. Uh, you feel like you are, you have all this adrenaline. You feel like you are plugged up to a car battery 24 seven. And my outlet for that kind of thing when I was in rehab was working out. You know, I would do hundreds of fucking push-ups, but I hurt my shoulder. So I needed a new outlet, and that's where running came in. And since my serotonin and my dopamine was all out of whack, too, that was also the only way that I could find any kind of, like, that happy feel because of the endorphins from the running. So I decided, yeah, yeah. And so I decided, I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to get through withdrawal. I started putting in routines and game plans. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to be a motivational speaker anytime soon because I can't talk, but I'm going to start posting my running on Facebook and Mm -hmm. and on these benzo withdrawal support groups. And maybe it'll start motivating people. And, um, you know, I ran my first marathon, I ran another one and I found out about Ironman I started learning how to play the guitar and the piano and um, the, the setting and the achieving of goals was also only the other way that I could release any kind of serotonin. Um, But even in the, in the very beginning days, my reward receptors didn't work. So I would, there wasn't any reward feeling for any of this stuff. I just 
had to rely on the sense of pride of yeah. sticking to discipline. And it was fucked up, man. But it was uh, it got me through it. And I that that's what the book was about. It was like, dude, you can you, you can um there's a lot of things that you can't do in withdrawal, but yeah. there are some things you can. And um I, I talked a lot about entrepreneurship in the book because even right now to this day, I couldn't hold a job down at Walmart, but I can get on this laptop and I can create videos and I can yeah. hop on Zoom calls with people like yourself. And I, I just wanted to let people know that at the very least, if you have this brain injury, you can at least make money for yourself. So yeah. and, and you could get you could get better, you could get off the chemicals and you can start living a better life. If we go back, you, you said that you were setting the goals, you were getting the goals. You just didn't have the feeling of the reward, right? Yeah. It's interesting you yeah. say that because, because we, we have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of friends and, and we're plugged into a lot of personal development. Right. And yeah. what I've also found is sometimes you just got to go out and take the action before you actually develop the belief and the confidence and you're not going to see the reward, right? Because now it's just, right. it's a, it's a check mark box, right? Okay. If I could do one goal today, boom, tomorrow, another goal. And over time, these are going to stack up to be higher wins. But when mm. you're living in the moment and you're struggling and you got all the, the pressure of all this shit you're trying to deal with, mm -hmm. they don't seem like rewards, do they? It just seems like yeah. I, I went out and I, I did 50 pushups or I ran two miles. Okay, great what's next because i need something that's going to continually drive me in the short term mm -hmm. and over time right. it, it, it's going to suck it might be better maybe you get a smile maybe you feel great for a few minutes and then you recognize i got to keep putting in more work uh if not i'm going to slowly slip back into uh that feeling mm -hmm. of despair and, and and all that yeah. crazy shit right um, yeah i've definitely felt that and i could definitely uh, sense and and what I'm hearing you describe is that same thing, right? Is that mm -hmm. over time you you just had to set these goals. I find it awesome that you were able to take all of the experience, the the goal setting, and then the strategies and put it into a book. Yeah, and then Thank then you. you've created you've created a group now, right? Goals over benzos. Yeah, this comes back to that mission that we were talking about earlier, right? Uh, what you shared with me earlier was help people motivate or help motivate people with similar brain injuries to find positive yeah. ways to cope and get through their days. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think through your progression, you've definitely done that and continue doing that with the goals over Benzos. How active is that group? Do you have people reaching out for one-on-one uh, -on -one calls or you kind of take people under your wing for a little bit to kind of get, get them into, Hey, try this out for a little bit. Let's, let's monitor and measure to see where your progress is. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, and that was another reason why I started doing the 50 marathons or whatever, because yeah. I wanted, I wanted to, to, that definitely boosted the engagement of the group. Um, mm -hmm. And that was kind of like the mascot. For the group the marathons are kind of like the mascot for the group and uh so all last year i mean it's not a big group it's only like 300 people and um and but they're 
there are a handful of people that comment every day that they post their goals. And um, so we do have, it's a tight knit, very interactive group. I don't really, um, and I, I actually, I mean, I've been asked a few times to do like coaching calls. I'm not sure what that, I don't really do that as of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely got on the phone with, with people and said, this is my experience. This is how I would get through this particular situation. Um, so, I mean, so that's about it, man. I, I make my daily post and then yeah. I interact with the, the comments and the inboxes and stuff like that. But uh, it, it's very rewarding um, to see because all the other, all the other, and I don't want to sound like sound this way, but literally all, almost all the other withdrawal groups are, you just sit around, you don't sit around, you, you just, you, they're, they're posting their symptoms. And I, I, I understand, I mean, it is a support group and it is a place to grieve for sure. Mm -hmm. To be like, this is what, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to survive this, but it can very quickly, if that's all you're doing all day, it can very quickly get depressing and and feel like there's no way out. So goals over benzos, it's very rewarding to see like, okay, we've provided this little platform to be like, all right. And and the format of the group is um, if you're going to talk about symptoms, you have to, the format is in spite of feeling like this or dealing with this, 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 and this, I'm going to, strive to accomplish this 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 and this and um it's it's neat that now people have because i mean it doesn't matter what the goal is how small it is walking down the street people Mm -hmm. are stoked on that and they want to have a place to share that and uh, i'm glad that we have that now so well i i think that's awesome i if i reflect on on my own personal experience um i drink a lot uh, for 20, yeah. 20, 20, 25 years, a, a lot. We'll just say a ton. Um, years ago, it was probably like 10 years ago, maybe 15, uh, I attended uh, AA off and on for a good year and a half. Met mm-hmm. a lot of great people. Um, read a ton, got into scripture, um, Bible, um, support groups, friends here and there. But the thing that, and maybe it was just the group I was in, maybe I didn't find the right people, right? I can't knock the program because it's, it's helped millions upon millions of people worldwide for what, 70 plus years or something, right? It's, it's yeah, pretty yeah. popular. For me though, I, I kept being in that state of remembering an experience or symptoms <laughs> and we couldn't get past it. So what ended up happening is, is I, I continued to hear similar stories over and over again, and it would cause me to relapse. And what I wasn't hearing, and even some of the people that, that were in the groups that were the sponsors and stuff like that, um, we didn't put together a goal thing that you want to do every single day or a task list, mm-hmm. right? There wasn't yeah. that other than don't drink today, right? And for some people, that's good for... For someone like me who was highly functional, I mean, I was carrying on a full-time corporate job, social life, 
uh, all kinds of other things, right? I mean, like literally my day stacked, I just happen to drink a lot, right? And yeah, for me, I found um, after, well, it's been four and a half years, a little more than that for uh, off everything completely. Um, it's about the goal setting and keeping track yeah. and measuring what's there. If I could do that, I never think about these other situations and experience, right? I got a little bit of, of that um, uh, backlog experience in the, in the mind, you know, those little regrets, those uh, traumatic experiences of those pop up, but they're never front of mind. And they're never, even when I'm at a low point, they never pop up because I continually am looking, okay, I got to accomplish this. And even if it's going right. to suck or it's going to be hard. Um, and and that, that's why how you talked about goals over benzo, it really resonated because I'm like, you know what, the, that little framework is, is really the starting point, right? Especially mm -hmm. if someone has, if they're in the, the depths of hell, as you say, say, right? Yeah. Just start one, just take a step, just keep going every single day. Um, and like you said earlier, it's, it's that consistency. Um, that, that's a, that's a great story. And I'm glad that you're doing that. And, and I think you're truly helping people. Um, I think you're ready to coach people, but obviously that's a slightly different commitment, but I think you're already doing those things. Maybe it's just not as direct yeah. as, as, uh, right, quote, quote, right. like coach calls and stuff like that, <clears throat> man, this has been great so far. I want to switch gears. I want okay. to talk something that, that you and me both have a, a big passion about and that's freaking okay. running, man. Yeah. That's yeah. Running. Yeah. Now I know last year I watched you week over week over week post about your experience. Tell us about your goal that you set for last year. What was it like um, doing all these marathons? And then I know you, you attempted to do one every week and then you got injured, but let's talk about that goal. What, where did it come out of? Yeah. And, and uh, what was that experience like every single week? Yeah, man. Um, let me, let me check here real quick. Sorry, I had a, something popped up. Yeah. Oh, so no the goal came, the goal came from, it was like a, it was a, I wanted to motivate the goals over Benzo's group. And I feel like a, a marathon is a pretty straightforward way of motivating people. You post a marathon and that's like, it speaks for itself. Right. One and of the then, hardest things to do, right? <laughs> yeah. Pinnacle and uh, so, so there was that. And then I, I, I figured it would be a good marketing, a form of marketing um, for my business uh, because, you know, everybody's scrolling, they have no attention span, but if they see marathon number, such and such in all caps, maybe they'll stop scrolling for a bit and see what I got going. You know, yeah. that was, that was one game plan. So, <clears throat> So I wanted to do one every week and it honestly, until the last month, wasn't that bad. I mean, it was, uh, I, in the, in the summertime, it got pretty brutal. I did get heat sickness one time and, and, and had diarrhea, vomit. And that wasn't, that wasn't fun, but, um, it, it, it did towards the, the last month, it did start getting kind of grueling because, uh, and I, I still have, am, am feeling the repercussions of this. I think mm -hmm. I started <coughs> to develop a nutrient deficiency because one thing that I'm not consistent about is 
food and dieting and nutrition and all that. I have not taken the time to learn how all that works yet. I just want to get up and go. And mm-hmm. so that started being pretty uh, detrimental. I, for us, for a while there, I thought I was only going to get 48. Um, yeah. I really had to kind of thug it out <laughs> for the last, the last two that I got in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, man, the, I I'm proud of it. I, uh, I, I, I'm super stoked that I got it done. Um, and I, but like, I'm part of the same world that you're in and I'm used to reading and watching people run like 200 miles and mm-hmm. you ran a hundred and, and James Lawrence, he did like a hundred Ironmans. So in my mind, 50 marathons is kind of cool, but you know, I'm not, comparison is you know is the thief of joy and all that i'm not like trying to compare myself i'm just saying the bar is set very high in our world so well well, i got i gotta say uh, i gotta say the percentage of people that run one mile (laughs) anytime in their life right there's a lot of people that do that right or walk a mile the people that decide to run a marathon that percentage gets very small, right? I think it's about uh, maybe 2% of the world's population at most, right? Really? And, and people, it yeah. could be higher than that. Because it, remember, it's the, it's the pinnacle of running, right? So you think back of where the marathon came from, right? The Greek uh, times and um, uh, Greek or Roman times, and you're running from Athens, kind of the, the whole Olympics type thing, right? 20, 26, yeah, 22 yeah. miles. Now, now, if you think about it, though, most people train to run a marathon and they do it just once in their mm-hmm. lifetime. You knocked out 50 <laughs> in less than 365 days, one per week through all the different elements of where you live at, right? That's, that in itself is a feat. I know that if, if, if you were to look at anybody else that's running, and I know a lot of runners nowadays, very few have run multiple marathons in a month, right? You were doing four, sometimes five in a month, depending on how many weeks in the month, right? Yeah. Now, now you've actually pushed yourself to the 1% of runners, and then <laughs> some, right? Like, like you really have to be proud of like, you're literally in the elite group of people that have accomplished that much running, not just to mention in their lifetime, but in less than one year. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean I haven't, if you put I haven't thought about, I, I really, when it comes to percentage, like I, my dad said that and I heard somebody else say that and see in my mind, I'm just thinking of like James Lawrence and what he did, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's cool, but I see, I, when I think about, uh, I just haven't thought about like the percentage. I didn't know that it was so low. I thought yeah. more people ran marathons than that because I'm always watching running videos. So yeah, it's very yeah. common, you know? But, well, it's also right. If you, if you see a, a blue Toyota truck and you want a blue Toyota truck, wherever you look, you're going to see blue Toyota trucks. They've always been oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But now it's, now it's more in your, your um, viewfinder that that's something that you want to look for. But man, congratulations on running 50 marathons in 2020. Thank you. I'm glad um, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet. I mean, 
I and only... and I, I love running, but I, I, to be honest, the main the, and this this was happened way before the last month. I love running. Everything about it. Well, the first thirteen miles, <laughs> I love everything about running. Um, <laughs> but it, I did. I'm not gonna lie. For the majority of these runs, I did resent the amount of time that it yeah. was taking for my it's Saturday. Yeah, because because what happens when you're all jacked up on these marathons? At least for me, I was thinking about accomplishments, you know, future goals, and and I'm like, damn, I'm getting all jacked up to do these things, and because of this thing that I'm doing, I don't have any time to do it. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so now I, I have more time on my Saturdays to focus on. Um, I'll put it like this. I was getting all jacked up and getting all these ideas for these cool videos that I wanted to make. But because I was running the marathons, I didn't have the time to learn the technical skills to actually yep. make those videos happen. So now I got more time to do that, and which is a big relief for me. Hey, I, I completely understand that. I mean, I ran my very first marathon what, four years ago. Out of all the different trainings that I've done, Ironman, some ultra races at different distances. Um, I think last year you've probably ran more miles than I did since I've been running in the last four and a half, five years. <laughs> yeah, but you did, you did a hundred in a row. <laughs> uh, doing a hundred in a row, I think is harder than I, I like that is. That's fucking bonkers, dude. A hundred <laughs> miles. I did 75. Yep. And I honestly couldn't at that where I was at that time. I couldn't wrap my head. I wouldn't have been able to wrap my head around running five more. Nonetheless, 25. So that's to be highly commended man uh, th- th- thank you thank you uh, like like you said i got aspirations looking at these people that have set world records and personal achievements yeah. that are so far out there it's it's just a stepping stone right we're all working towards right, to get better right. and farther distances um but yeah i mean it took me uh 13 months um, on the third try to run a, a full hundred. Um, yeah. and, and this year I got, I got some aspirational goals for, for bigger ones, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I didn't train. And you do it, you do it without music, which means you're a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was gonna, we could talk about that, but I found that, especially like when you do a triathlon, like an Ironman, well, in their rules, you can't use your phone or play music. I mean, I, they don't want you to have the phone because there could be some competitive advantages that you get, right? So if like you're an elite runner, you could hear where your other competitors are in relation to you. Um, um, you could have some other insight that other people don't have at the time, right? Not to mention... Mm-hmm when if you're in like the age group bracket or even even the professionals going super fast right if you're not socially and spatially aware of what's around you you could cause a lot of problems for a lot of people and vice versa right i've seen people bail yeah i've seen people bail because they can't hear what's around them because Mm -hmm. they're they're too occupied with this i've seen people on the running course literally bump right into people because they're so into the groove that they got going on with the music 
that they're not realizing that they're bumping into someone who's freaking struggling, right? Mm, yeah, um, especially in a, in a lot of these. It's, well, for me, for like uh, what we'll call age grouping, uh, which is just your your weekend warrior, amateur type type runners and and triathlons. When it gets into the nighttime, if you got that shit blaring, you're not going to see that there could be cars that could come onto the course sometimes that you got uh, to be yeah. aware of. If someone bails next to you, I've seen people bail and nobody stopped to help them because they were too preoccupied, right? And mm-hmm. um, when I started doing triathlons, I, I, I recognized that and I literally just said, okay, I've got to stop training with music. And when you get out there doing an ultra, you want to be very aware of what's going on because you could hear uh, potential animals. You could hear where the other uh, runners are around you. Uh, mm-hmm. you, could, you could hear cars if you have to traverse across streets. Um, and maybe like, a, like when I was in Montana, if I had music on, I wouldn't have heard that there was a thunderstorm brewing just a few miles away that eventually right. came over the top of us, right? Now, could I have seen it if I would have turned around? Yeah, but I wouldn't have known. And th- nobody's holding signs up out there. You're in the middle of freaking nowhere. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, um, but it is, a, it is a different game when you could do a endurance activity for long periods of time and it's just you talking to yourself unless you're talking to another participant, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the difference, right? Is you're going to, you're going to go for several hours sometimes where you might not see another fucking person until you get to an aid station. There might not be, there's people behind you. There's people in front of you, but just where you're pacing there, you're insulated. There's nobody around you, right? Yeah. Music might be good in that sense. But I kid you not, when it's when you're exhausted at 18 hours, 20 hours, it's pitch black. I don't want to listen to music, even though at times I'll get scared shitless if I hear some rustling in the bushes right next to me, right? right. Or, or the craziest thing is, is, is when you're getting to that exhaustion point, you hear your own footsteps behind you. Mm-hmm. It trips the shit out of you because you think someone's behind you. Now, if I had music, I'd block it out. I'd then again well to your point to your point the uh i've done i've done two iron men and to your point when uh like i did it in the summertime and you're just dealing with what comes with that heat the last thing i wanted to do was have blaring music in my ear it's like dude i just need like I was nauseous and I didn't want to hear somebody yelling in my headset. I just wanted to try to focus on not dying. So, um, but I get what you're saying because I, I, I have almost gotten hit by a car when I was training on the bike because I have the damn music going, you know, yeah. and, and didn't see what was going on, but it's a whole different game, man, because you go from the difference is for me, you know, with music, I'm all jacked up and let's go, let's go. And then all of a sudden you take the music away and it's like, all right. Like all of a sudden the the mental track is totally different. It's like, all right, it's so much more intense and angry <laughs> for like mentally for me. It, it, it could be a roller coaster, right? And, and uh, funny when you, when you read like David Goggins, right? He talks about the cookie jar, 
right? Where you're, right. you're, you're digging back into your mind for these experiences of uh, either trauma or pain or happiness, joy, or even your accomplishments, right? That have some sort of meaning that you're going to rely on as those little motivational breadcrumbs, if you will. Um, and literally, I incorporate that in to all of my runs or training, especially when I'm pushing, right? Because you know, like your reserves are, are eaten up. And um, when I heard about that, as I was kind of going in through my journey of ultra running as well, it makes sense. Now, it is not as pretty as everybody thinks, like you talk about a cookie jar, right? Because there's sometimes you're going to eat the shittiest cookie uh, when you're yeah. exhausted and tired out there, just like like you were on some of your marathons when it's, when it's super hot, you're sweating, uh, your stomach's growling, you're two miles away from your home. Um, that's, just, that's just how you got to survive, especially if you're going to do a lot of these runs or triathlons with no music is you just got to find a way to keep yourself entertained and laugh at yourself. I, I, I sit there and I laugh at my freaking self. Like if I trip or something like that, you know, like shit, I'm trying mm -hmm. to put on a show for everybody else or whatever, just to keep myself focused on, on the goal to go forward. So one thing I've always kind of been curious about, like running with a bunch of people, I can see, I can see where you can get a, like energy from that and a lot of encouragement from other people. But in the pain, when you're in a pain cave, it seems like the last thing, did you find it was difficult to be around a lot of people or did it help? You? Uh, it's a mixture. Of the both. last thing I, yeah. the last thing I wanted was somebody to like, uh, if, if uh, uh, somebody even drove by and waved hi, I was like, don't fucking, don't wave at me. I'm in a pain cave right now. You, you know what? I'll, I'll say this is, is it's a mixture of both. And so one thing, and this is more from, from just my purpose, my mission is when I'm out there, especially like in a triathlon, which there's a lot of different people, a uh, lot of different um experience um and athletic ability it ranges very wide to like your elite athletes to a weekend warrior that on the outside if you look at someone you're like how in the fuck is that person doing this right like uh, because mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of people that you could tell maybe they got to a certain point and they're at that physical fitness level where for their body type they could do it but there's a lot of people in triathlon that that are uh, mom bod dad bod super out of shape looking and they go out there and they crush that shit and really? and yeah it's it it actually is quite surprising so like when when you go to like a walmart or a grocery store and you see someone that's that's overweight or borderline obese believe it or not in these triathlons you may see people in that on the outside that look similar to that but on the inside they're rock fucking solid motivation that they're going to conquer this. Maybe this is the only one they're going to do. They've been training for it, but, mm -hmm. but you will see those people out there. And, and as I mentioned before, one of my purpose and missions when I'm in those races, even when I do ultras is to spread positivity and encouragement. So for me throughout the entire race, I am going to say, hello, good job. Keep up the good work. How are you feeling? Do you need anything? 
Uh, hey, it looks like you're sitting on the side of the road. Uh, is there anything I could help? I'm going to be that person because when I first started, those people were around me that I didn't know, complete strangers. And they'd say mm -hmm. shit like, dude, you're looking strong. On the inside, I feel like garbage. I'm throwing up. I'm about to shit my pants, whatever mm -hmm. it is, right? Uh, and yeah. just those little pieces, um, I find help me. And, and there's those times where, like you said, when you're in that pain cave, you might hear it, but you're like, shut the fuck up. I don't need to hear that right now, right? <laughs> And, right. and sometimes, you know, I, I get like that, but I don't, I don't say anything in return. It's usually my head's down tunnel vision and, and you're on like these like two second clocks, right? I got to power through one more step, one more step. And then after a while you forget you're in such a pain cave. And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you come across someone that's like, Hey, keep it up. If you want to quit, here's a chair or Hey, your beer is at the end of the race or whatever. And I don't even drink anymore. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, here's a quick dopamine hit. And all of a sudden your mind shifts and then you're able to power through a little bit more. It doesn't always happen that way. Uh, I mean, you could talk to any, any triathlete or ultra runner. It's going to be a wave of emotions throughout the entire thing because you can't predict what the conditions are going to be like. I mean, just like anything yeah. else, right? The, the situation is never going to be perfect. Just start and keep going, right? That's that's the philosophy, uh, especially for me when it comes to no music. I'd like to ask you another question, if you don't yeah, mind, sure. as far as the mind game. So, so like the first Ironman that I did, I was actually still in that. Um, I was in that uh, intense part of withdrawal. The. Yeah, yeah the acid trip and all that shit. And so in Ironman, you know, you got the marathons, but then you got an Ironman. And an Ironman is just a whole different beast. It's a whole different animal. And I remember, like I've done, there's a reason I've only done two Ironman and I've done 50 marathons, right? Um, <laughs> and I remember uh, while I was doing it, I mean, this was, probably some years back that I did the first one it was like it it was I'm not sure if it I mean it was I don't know I had I remember thinking like if I was not in withdrawal right now which might sound like it would make it much harder to do it because I was in withdrawal but in my mind it gave me such a powerful why mm -hmm. um like I remember when I was doing it, I was like, dude, if I was just normal and healthy, I don't think I would put myself through this because I would don't really, I wouldn't really have a fucking reason to like, what's yeah, the point that yeah. I had such a, you know, that defy the odds and I'm going to survive withdrawal and all that shit. So I'm curious what, uh, I mean, we have some similar experiences what is your why when you're going through, I mean, a hundred miles and I mean, what, what, what are some of the, the things that are going on in your head and heart? Uh, I'll answer the question in like three parts. So, so the, the first part is, is what's my why it is all about me. I'm going to push myself farther than I've ever gone before. So I've, I've adopted a mindset that 
every second that goes by is the longest time I've ever lived. And I got to make the most of it because I spent one to two decades in such a mental shithole. Yeah, life was good. I had money, had relationships, did all these trips, all this fun stuff. But mentally, I just wasn't there, right? And and mm. I can't remember some of them, to, to put it plainly. And so I, I, I'm a big believer that life is all about the experiences that you create for A, yourself, uh, to drive your memory. But also, if I'm not at my best, I can't be the best and show up for the people around me. And so when I'm mm. going out there and I'm doing an Ironman or a triathlon, or I'm sorry, a triathlon or, or an ultra race, the, the real reason behind it is I have something more to reach on a level that I haven't even explored yet. And I want to get there. And so for, for me, it's when I'm out there, if I'm with no music and I hear footsteps coming up, deep down inside, the motivation for me to keep going is, is that's my old self. Those are the, the bad habits, the bad experiences, the terrible decisions, uh, not living up to, to my potential, not maintaining excellence, um, mm. not just not keeping my word to myself, right? And so when I'm out there, it's, okay, you, you made this commitment, keep going, push as hard as you can. The results don't matter. It's what happens right now. And, and so that, that's really the, the behind the scenes purpose that, that I personally use. Um, the other one is, is, and this is also why it's about my family. You know, I got um, a, a wife um, who's partially disabled. I got two kids, uh, one on the autism spectrum, one that has some uh, physical uh, disabilities that we're working through. And for me, it's, I want to make sure that I give them the tools necessary to succeed in life when A, I'm not here, right? That's a reality. Uh, but B, also to, to show them that I am present. I'm doing something that, that is helping the other people around. Um, so it's not just the, the running community. It's, it's anyone that needs help uh, communicating, mindset, whatever, you know, I'm glad to coach them out. Because uh, the first few years of my kid's life, uh, I was still drinking heavily, partying, wasn't coming home. I mean, they probably don't remember um, because they were like two and three years old or up to that point. Mm -hmm. And when I decided to get sober, like in an instant, I said, I got to prove to them that I'm, I'm, I'm living exactly what I say I'm going to live, right? And I'm following mm -hmm. the goals. And so that's very huge for me. And not to mention, it got to the point when I'm doing my training. Now, my kids will be saying, hey, dad, are you going out for a run tonight? Or when are you coming back from the gym? Because we want to do X, Y, and Z. So I'm really trying to schedule it. And then in, mm -hmm. in the home, in the mini home gym that we have, uh, the kids will just join me. It's, it's, it, it touches nice. me so deeply that all of a sudden, they'll jump on the elliptical machine when I'm doing stretches or I'll be stretching. They'll jump over there. They'll, they'll do push-ups or jumping jacks. And they're having it more as a game, but mm -hmm. they're emulating what their dad is doing. Right. So right. My hope is, 
my, my hope is, because we don't know how they'll turn out, just like none of us, our parents didn't know how we technically turn out, right? Is that they take those strategies and techniques and all the things that you and I are sharing today, and they think about them as they start to make their own decisions as they grow, right? Because believe it or not, once, I mean, once we got to that certain age, I, I just want to look back and, and think as a parent, I did the best I could to, pre uh, to prepare my kids to be critical thinkers and make good decisions and help people for when I'm not around. Right. And, and whatever that yeah. is, however long I'm here, however long they're here, I, I'm really, I really want to make sure that, that I've, uh, done whatever I can to, to get them prepared. Cause in, in my background, um, while, while I have parents, I've been, in, uh, uh, in touch with, with them for the longest time, there was a lot of times where, um, I didn't have any support or they weren't around and it's mainly just cause they were working or they got separated, right? Whatever they had in their life, I can't hold it against them. Right. They're just trying to survive like every other motherfucker on earth. Right. Um, right. And there, there was just times where, where I didn't have that. And, and kind of like you said uh, earlier in, in your story, you just have to figure it out. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, you, and I mean, today, now you could pull up YouTube or the internet and you could learn so much shit that, that, that wasn't around when I was there, right? Like you had to learn it on scratch. Mm -hmm. um, and then really quickly, number three, it, it really comes down to um, the camaraderie and the community of the athletes and participants uh, in these sports, because I've met so many people that are just like cheering for you. They don't know anything about you. They don't know what struggles you've come from. They don't know what your background is. Um, where you sit with an economic class, they know none of that, right? Other than you showed up, right? Yeah. And, and you know the same and, and in every single race, I'm cheering for them, whether if they know it or not. And I'm going to share that. And that's big because there's been so many people that, that literally in those moments where you're in that freaking hell and you're staring down, you're in that pain uh, cave, someone says something to you or they strike up a conversation and it pulls you the fuck out of there. And, and literally that's, that, that is just something else. I want to give that part back. So, sorry, a little bit long winded answer, but, but hopefully that helps answer the, the question. Yeah, man. Asked. That's awesome. That's all. I mean, I remember, uh, like I said, it's become so as far, I mean, it's, it's become so commonplace now but I remember how excited I was when I found um, the running community, albeit, you know, mine was like all, all via YouTube because I couldn't go out or whatever. But I just remember being like, oh, I, this is a new thing to be a part of because I went through uh, a period of time where, see, I've always been an avid skateboarder. And then when I turned a, a certain age, I was like, one, this is starting to hurt way too much. And two, this is starting to get a little embarrassing because I'm there's something about like a, a 30 year old going to uh, a skate park that is kind of cringy. So yeah. I needed something new. So when I found running and you can do this until you're 80, I was like, all right, man, this is my new thing. So that was I remember how happy I was when I first found it. 
I completely understand. I I didn't play sports as a kid. I I rode a skateboard and a BMX bike, and and uh, yeah, I, I lived um, in a neighborhood where kids uh, built half pipes in their backyard or in fields, or we took the bus everywhere. Um, I mean, that that's what we did in the early '80s, late '80s, uh, into the '90s. And uh, you're right. I came to a certain point where I was like, "Shit, I'm tired of having my legs bruised, my arms mm-hmm. up, cuts, and uh, run running from the police because uh, I can't be skateboarding at a certain spot." Right? <laughs> right. Just yes, dumb sir. stuff. Just dumb stuff. But it it was all experiences. So, Justin, I know we're coming up close to the end. I want to ask you just a few more questions here. Yeah. What are one or two techniques and strategies that you use every day that you want to share with us and the audience that you think are going to help them get closer to realizing their goals? Yeah. So for the specific, I mean, this is for anybody, but specifically because I know that the goals over Benzo's group are going to probably be watching this if, you Mm -hmm. know, um, the, the main thing that helped me out uh, in the beginning times was I had a motto that it was like, okay, my brain is, has been hijacked and it, my own brain is trying to kill me right now because of the mm-hmm. gap receptors and all that. So I had a motto that it was like, I can't think for myself right now, temporarily. I, I can't think for myself um, because it's all, suicidal ideation and depression and all this craziness. So I'm going to let these motivational video speakers think for me. Uh So I made it a habit and a discipline to, I would listen to a motivational, either a motivational video or some type of empowering music every 30 minutes on the clock. I would, I would listen to that and it would get me through the next 30 minutes. And Uh over time, Obviously, it doesn't happen right away, but over time, it starts to rewire your brain and to be a, a go-getter of sorts, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and to how to think about certain things in an in a overcoming way yeah. and not a, because it'd be, it's very easy to get into a woe is me uh, despair type of mentality, but, but your mentality is usually different after watching or listening to empowering motivational stuff. Yeah. I don't have to do that as much anymore because it's kind of been ingrained into me now, but the beginning days, I would definitely recommend people to do that, to like feed your soul and feed your mind with goal oriented things. Uh, the yeah. second one, and I, I've kind of, besides when I was a, alcoholic and drug addict i've always kind of been a a list person so Mm -hmm. get your priorities and and just something about checking it off your list as you go it keeps you organized it keeps you on track um that's kind of why i like the i think that's why runners and athletes do well at entrepreneurship because I kind of see my, you probably do the same thing. I kind of see my task list as like a little mini marathon for the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm checking my time, my efficiency, and it's like a, you turn it into a little game. So that's, uh, 
there's a de- there's definitely a there's a reason why there's a huge correlation between endurance athletes and entrepreneurship because it's kind of the same uh, the same principles. Oh yeah. Um, so that was I know you're looking for three. Those are the main oh, the main two. That's good. Yeah. Um, and momentum, man. Uh, turn the. I know a lot of people have acastasia and like with the the benzo symptoms and not just turn it into a, a superpower the yeah. the not being able to sit still or um just turn that into the power of momentum <laughs> uh, for whatever goal that you're trying to go for you can really turn it into a superpower awesome man th- th- those are three great goals right i'll, I'll recap them is feed yourself good information little motivational things on a regular basis because in turn it will change your thoughts Uh, number two keep goals and just check them off right it's the easiest way to monitor and measure where you're going and number three use all that other shit as (laughs) yeah right burn burn it up and uh, keep powering forward well justin i really appreciate talking to you today we talked about a lot of different stuff your background you're an author uh, um, uh, you host a YouTube channel, you got a Facebook group, uh, as well as you're an ultra runner, just like myself. Let me, I forgot to say this. If people want more information about you, where can they find you? Uh, tell me where you're at, where people could contact you. Yeah. So Justin Hazuri on Facebook. Um, I have, as like a lot of people, I have multiple accounts. It's the one where it has my no time for that assistance business profile picture. Um, I'm not really on Instagram and TikTok yet. Uh, I got my hands full with Facebook. <laughs> so Facebook and um, my, if you want to check out some of the videos that I make, I'm a video editor. I have my YouTube channel. It's called No Time for That Assistance. And that's where you can get an idea of what kind of videos I like to make and hopefully knock out some promos for your business and get people hyped. So. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate your time today. This is a great conversation. We covered a lot of different topics. Always a pleasure to speak with you, my friend. I know I'm going to cross paths with you multiple times, whether if it's through video editing, podcasting, as well as your Facebook groups. And anytime there's a trail or a pavement, I know, I know we're going to be out there running together sometime in the coming year. So really appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Remember, you are watching or listening to the Ultra Catalyst podcast. Today, we had Justin Harazi on the podcast today. Check it out. Remember, subscribe to this channel on podcasting or on YouTube. Like, send us a comment, DM. If you need any help, if you're going through any withdrawals, reach out to my man, Justin, or hit me up if you're also looking for any coaching opportunities, mindset, nutrition, fitness, or if you want to get into ultra running, either one of us be glad to help. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have yourself a fine afternoon. Take care.